up everything. The race is on for Gary Bettman to ruin another NHL season before it's even begun. But what will it be this time? Greed? Incompetence? A lack of appropriate Zamboni subsidies? We'll break it down in this episode, along with whatever else comes to our brains. So let's get started, and let's go NHL Players Association. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Two Guys One Cup podcast. And we will remain one cup because there will never be another NHL season, Ian. It is is Saturday, December 5th, the night before St. Nicholas Day, for those who celebrate, which means you're, I guess, German. I don't know, maybe other people, but my family does. And uh, we're back. We're back after a a fairly long hiatus, kind of a bumpy november with uh thanksgiving and well really no hockey or news of any kind <laughs> that's another reason uh how are you doing ian how have you been since our last uh last podcast good nothing has changed in my life yeah i figured <laughs> i didn't think you had uh made any propositions or anything any like propositions. That. So, you know perfectly normal couple of weeks i offered that's... my girlfriend a, a lifetime together and she mistakenly <laughs> said yes that uh, was uh, that, yeah. You know, we'll, I'll talk to her to make sure she's doing well. But but she's clear on clear on what <laughs> what happened. What disagreement? I don't know if you're aware. <laughs> Maybe you're under uh, some kind of uh, alcohol. That's fun. Yesterday I uh, went to Chattanooga. Not yesterday. I went Thursday. It was a little two day trip. Uh, but yesterday, after going to the Tennessee Aquarium, which was uh, pretty nice, it was pretty cool. Um, I would say uh, strong recommend. I was going to say maybe medium recommend, but no, I'll go up to strong. Uh, it was actually a cool layout because it was like at the beginning, at least of the, there was a river aquarium side and an ocean aquarium side. And at the beginning of the river one, you got this huge escalator. And then like the whole aquarium, you're like zigzagging back and forth down ramps. But when you get to a new level, there will be like a side hall that goes around and then you go to the other ramp. It's a cool layout. It was great use of space. And as a nerd, I appreciated that. But in any case, (laughs) after I went to the aquarium, went to a uh, sports card shop and got accused of theft. So that was (laughs) that was a fun experience. They don't Uh, like your kind around here. Yeah, we uh, I thought we were I thought we were vibing me and this guy or not not the guy that accused us but his other employees i thought we were chatting and having fun and uh then when we uh, left after buying some things and you know going on our merry way uh we were sitting in the parking lot which would be a weird thing to do i would think if you were criminals who had just stolen <laughs> something from the store is to just hang out in front of the store um and eventually the uh, owner came over and knocked on the window and asked if we uh, had taken any cards and put them in our pocket and then threatened us that they had cameras and it was a whole big ordeal. But we've come through. I didn't get arrested. It was very strange. It was a bizarre 
part of that trip. However, uh, we stayed in a cool Airbnb cabin. How do you feel about Airbnb? Ian, you big fan, medium fan? I'm a pretty big fan. I, I don't hate, um, hotels or anything. Like there are Uh some people that seem very, very, seem very strong against how much they don't like hotels these days. Um, which I can understand, you know, you don't know the cleanliness of places or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess. But, um, during, yeah. I, I like, I like Airbnbs. Yeah. I mean, I guess during pandemic people are maybe extra cautious. I hadn't done an Airbnb until I went to Florida for that long trip. Um, but yeah, they've, uh, they've grown on me for sure. I'm, I'm a little, I'm still a little in the middle because I still kind of have that feeling that I'm like in somebody else's space, you know, mm-hmm. which is obviously true. In a hotel, even more so, you're in thousands of people's faces. But for whatever reason, it feels a little different, you know. Yeah. But I liked it. It was uh, it was a cool cabin. It was um, up in like it was technically in Georgia, south or southwest of Chattanooga, but um, it was like up on Lookout Mountain, basically. And it was a cool, it was real secluded and, and deep in the woods. And man, it was dark out there at night. And also you had to park at the bottom of the hill because I don't have all wheel drive. And walking up that hill in uh, light elevation or high elevation, not good on the lungs. Uh, it was pleasant, <laughs> but we made it. I didn't die and we're back. I didn't die or get arrested. And I saw some fishes and we're back. So, you know, it's, uh, it's all good. Have you been to the St. Louis Aquarium at all? I have one time. Yes. Have you gone? have not i uh it was great i mean it was fun it's a little it's a little small i think just because of the space they have to work with Mm -hmm. uh which is no surprise and i'm sure they'll also add to it as they you know grow and you know hopefully expand but uh, it's fun you know i I love aquariums to begin with so I'm, i'm kind of a biased judge but um you know it doesn't measure up to like shed or and you know one of the really truly huge ones but for what it is and for where it is i think it's really cool and it's got a lot of the kind of you know union station themes and stuff so that's kind of cool as well i liked it we should i'll go with you anytime if yeah. you want to. To i know your other... uh your fiance is a piscophobe so you know <laughs> i assume <laughs> how can you breathe underwater it doesn't make any sense <laughs> Um, you know, people, it's the, uh, marriage that's stood the test of time. It's trains and fish. (laughs) When I think trains, I think fish, baby. Goes together like cheese and apartheid. Yeah. (laughs) Like like peanut butter in Japan, (laughs) you know, just made in heaven. Uh, yeah, but I liked it. Uh, what was the one thing? Oh. I uh, bought a a box of hockey cards and pulled out uh, a Robert Thomas rookie card, Young Guns. So that felt that felt meant to be. That was my only other boys related story. Um, We, uh, you know, are kind of inventing hockey news to talk about at this point since nothing is official. But the most recent episode of the uh, 31 Thoughts podcast made me angry. uh, At least I don't know how you (laughs) felt about it, Ian. Um, but they talked a lot about the ongoing negotiations between the NHL and the NHLPA. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm ticked as the intro suggested a little peek behind the curtain. I recorded that intro before this episode, uh, but as the <laughs> intro suggested, I don't have a lot of faith right now that they're going to pull this off and not screw it up somehow. Um, I don't trust Gary Bettman as an actor and never have and uh you know i'm 
I'm always tempted to be, and you'll probably agree, I'm always tempted to be on the player's side anyway in these sorts of things because it's like the owners have the big money and the players are all just cogs of a, of a bigger machine, you know? Mm-hmm. But in this situation, I am especially on the owner's side as we'll discuss in a minute. But uh, a couple of notes from the podcast, if those of you who didn't listen, it's a short one. I recommend you kind of go back and listen to it. But um they were talking about how the NHL and NHLPA realized that the public uh, is actually going through real problems right now to kind of paraphrase what they said. It. Uh, you know, people, people are losing their businesses and closing their restaurants again and stuff like that. And basically they made the point of like, well, they don't want this to become a big public fight because people don't want to hear it right now. Um, and I agree with what they're saying, but also you would think that would be more of a wake up call than just a kind of a, Oh, well, we want to avoid public scrutiny. (laughs) You know, it would be Mm. more of a, Oh, Hey, people actually do have it rough and our problems aren't that bad, Uh, but it never is for the NHL. They also mentioned NBA owners got a better deal than NHL owners did when the NBA owners negotiated before the NBA entered the bubble. And of course that makes NHL owners who always have little man syndrome at the best of times. Uh, feel like they got a raw deal in the NHL. Uh, the league is asking for increased deferrals and raising the escrow caps uh, from the deal they did back in whatever, right before the bubble, right? They signed a new CBA. Um, and the players, and this is the part I agree with the most, are kind of like, well, we just agreed to a deal. What do we get if we're going to make concessions on a deal we already agreed to? And the owner's argument is essentially while you get to play um, and get paid this year. And the players are are saying, well, that's not enough, you know? So um, I didn't know that you could have a lockout when there was a collective bargaining agreement in place, but I guess you could in theory. And I mean, I guess there aren't fans. So, you know, they don't have the owners don't have that incentive to actually have games and make money. So, but I don't know how all that works, technically, legally speaking. But it's a it's a confused situation, and and um, I don't know. I'm just, you know, Friedman said at the end of the day, I think we're going to play, but feelings are a bit raw right now, and um, I'm I'm a bit nervous. As you uh, sip on your kombucha from GT's Kombucha, a great uh, provider of of raw cultured uh, drinks and and whatnot. Ian, how do you feel about this situation and the goings on in the NHL? Always fun. Am I back? Yes, you are back. We had a little bit of a pause there, but we're alive again. My internet was... connection is unstable. Oh no. I was uh, making fun of your your uh, kombucha. I don't know if you heard that. You could you could um, read. Could you read it? Yeah. Did well, I that? recognize the label more than anything. As uh, I'm, I've been told that it's good for me. Well, I'm sure it is. Does it taste good? I'm scared to drink it. To be perfectly. Um, it's very tangy. Tangy. Okay. I could do. I I could maybe do tangy. I don't know. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm scared. <laughs> I'm real. <laughs> uh, but no, we endorsed uh, GT's kombucha, no free pub. And uh, we endorsed uh, Deb's Cabin in, in uh, Phoenix Rising or Fawn Rising or wherever, Georgia, no free pub on Airbnb. So no free pub. Given, given a lot of free pub for podcasts whose official policy is no free pub, which is why we've never given any official pub before. <laughs> but uh, 
no, the question was, how are you feeling about this uh, season and all these negotiations that we're kind of hearing about through the grapevine right now? Um, I felt a little better this weekend because I think there were some tweets from Friedman and from uh, the other Pierre, the better Pierre. Uh, <laughs> LeBrun, um, yeah. Yeah, that uh, they were talking, I guess they had some governor's meeting or they had some ownership meeting where it was basically, okay, there's a 56 game like plan outline and a 52 game plan. And I know that they were like, owners really would like a 56 game plan. And I was like, yeah, we, yeah, we get it. There's more games. Mm-hmm. The four games really matter, but I guess they do. Um, and so they were quick to say, oh, well, this is just the plan and the financials haven't been worked out and there'd be a lot more talks out to happen. But it was nice that they said that there were, there were plans that were involved and in being created. So that made me feel a little bit better, but I mean, it is just like the NHL to, to step on its own goodwill to have some, you know, a CBA solved quickly and in the shadows, you know, that none of us knew about this past year or, you know, earlier this year. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, the NHL did something great. That's amazing. And then they're just stepping all over themselves again. Um, I totally agree. The NBA ownership thing is ridiculous. We're like, well, an NBA owner's got a better deal. It's like, okay, well, that's, I don't know. That's like if you complain to your boss that some guy at like McDonald's got a raise. You're like, you got a raise. How come I can't? And it's like, well, you don't work at McDonald's. So that's a different owner. That's a different group. That's a different boss. Like, what do you want me to do? Um, Yeah. It's also, it's even more, it's like, it feels like, you know, you work at, I don't know, Dell. And you're like, well, (laughs) Apple employees got paid better. And it's like, yeah, Apple employees also are smarter and better than you. You know, <laughs> oh god, yeah, they have a product that people want to watch. You couldn't get into Apple, that's <laughs> your problem. We know where you apply. Um, yeah, it's it's I side with the players on this, and I know it's always people complaining, well, it's millionaires arguing with billionaires and whatever, but it's like you signed a deal, you can't, you couldn't have believed that the pandemic was just going to be over. Like, and you knew you guys were like, the whole plan was to have this thing start soon so that you could get back on track to your normal schedule um, for like the 21, 22 season. And yeah. I was like, so you knew this was happening quickly and you still agreed to that. I don't know. I think they were just so desperate for revenue um, before making those TV deals work and not lose any money that they were like, well, okay, we'll, we'll do this bubble deal. We'll do whatever. We'll get the deferred payments done. We're moving on. We got the bubble, and they just did not think about the weird, you know, redheaded stepchild middle season between getting back to the regular season. Like, oh shit, we got to, yeah. you know, get to this season first. Um, I think that's an insightful point. Really, is that it just was almost overlooked. That yeah, they're like, oh, we have one in the middle. I mean, overlooked and and maybe underprepared for having another full season where they couldn't. Which we don't know yet. I mean, a vaccine is close and, mm. you know, cases are, are spiking right now, but that probably means that they will crest and res- begin to recede, recede fairly soon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is the whole thing this, that was going to happen in the winter no matter what. Or yeah, whatever. this could be the last big wave of it, you know, because not only will there be a vaccine, but just a lot more people will have had it and it'll start to spread more slowly. But, you know, it at the very least you can't expect many fans or any fans most places for the first several months of the mm-hmm. season so it seems to me like um i don't know it's just 
it's just a mess. It's just a it it just honestly it just makes them look like a ticky tack mm-hmm. to me. And I know I know why they're doing it. I think you know as you were talking about the kind of redheaded stepchild season, I think you made it you you kind of opened my eyes to like they have to fight now because they're they can't fight about the start of next season. Next season has to start right on time. Mm-hmm. let fans in the door on October 3rd and let's get back after it, you know, assuming that that is God willing practicable by then from a health and safety standpoint, like they, once they can have fans back in the building, they just got to hit the ground running with all, all, you know, four wheels or whatever you want to, whatever metaphor you want to use. And so they can't afford to be arguing about escrow and, you know, revenue deferment or whatever else to the point that it costs them money when fans are actually in the building. So if they're going to have this fight, they do need to have it now. But in the flip side of that coin, I want to say, yeah, but this is also the season that you just have to get out of the way. You know, <laughs> like you just mm-hmm. have to play it to make whatever money you can make in between now and when you're allowed to have fans again fully. And it just seems like I, you know, one of the points that Fried Fridge kept talking about, um, is that the you know the owners basically say well it's a 50 50 deal and if it's a 50 50 deal we have to find ways to actually make it 50 50 which means the players have to make a concessions and the players are kind of saying no it's a deal that you signed and we've got to live up to the standards of the deal and if you don't get 50 percent, that's your problem you know mm. and um you know i'm i'm kind of with the players because they signed a deal you know they and, you know, they feels to me like the NHL is kind of reneging on their contract now. But, you know, if to me, if they want to start a season and and have a real season, then the uh, NHL has to kind of fold on some things, which led to a couple of the points uh, that Fridge mentioned about possible uh, motivations for the players or things that the players could negotiate for. Um, if they were going to concede to escrow def- or deferral changes. Uh, Jeff Merrick made the point that um, that owner or that players could argue for camera uh, off the offsides lines or camera, I guess putting a camera on it or no, removing the camera from it to make that replay call less ridiculous and then removing mm-hmm. the puck over the glass penalty. But Friedman, which I think was a is a smarter uh, argument, is is saying that you know if the if the NHL wants to complain about revenue, there are some pretty obvious paths they're not taking towards revenue, and one of the big ones is ads on the sweaters. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about this one. Um, how do you feel about ads on sweaters? Because I personally, I once in my life think I hated this idea, and now I've watched enough soccer and uh, you know this isn't i'm not trying to say this in a in a like (laughs) elitist or snobby sort of way but like i I watch soccer enough now where it just like doesn't even register to me because like if you look at a a european soccer jersey the ad the ad basically is the sweater design you know Mm -hmm. like they the whole front of the chest for liverpool says like standard charters or whatever and you know i don't even really think about that not being their logo you know it just doesn't i don't know it just they make it look good 
in a way that it doesn't make the you know the jersey look gaudy or ridiculous well sometimes they fail but the, the goal <laughs> is to make it look good and you know they even have more ridiculous companies like bet 88 and you know some some companies that are just in chinese or korean or whatever and and it just is what it is and the nba has done it you know where they're on all the jerseys now and they're just small little patches on the shoulder or something and and to me it's just i don't know what kind of money is available if you put the jersey numbers on jerseys you know i don't know if you're talking about five million across the league or 50 million or what you know what kind of numbers they are but it just seems like such a to me and you know you're welcome to disagree i'm i'm happy to hear a dissenting opinion but like to me it feels like a weird line to draw when you especially when you are as desperate for revenue as you are right now and Bettman sort of wanting to say well you know it's fine for the arizona coyotes or the st louis blues or the um you know, insert X team, Las Vegas Golden Knights, but like to put a, to put a uh, advertisement on the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens or the New York Rangers jersey. I just don't know. It feels really dumb to me. And that feels like an old man's line of thinking and not like an actual businessman, smart person's line of thinking. But what do you think? <laughs> yeah, that definitely to me feels more like a tired way that they're just holding on to until they have like a new regime in there or like you know more young minds or it just feels like yeah if you look at nba um i guess jerseys or whatever it's just this tiny logo and you know like the top right or top left you know up by the shoulder and it's like just a white nike swoosh or something that's mm -hmm. it and it's like that i think that looks fine um i guess i don't know enough about jerseys where it's like if they have that on the jersey i guess if, the, if they have the advertisement there when you buy like um when you buy like a jersey from like a premier league team it's got the advertisement on that jersey too i was gonna say you could have it taken off of like a, a jersey that people buy but maybe not maybe that's in the in the uh code and everything and the things they sign with the advertisers to say well this has to be on your your stuff that you sell to fans as well but even then yeah just make it a small little thing um it's not i really don't think it's gonna bother that many people I used to think that for sure. I used to be like really against it, but now it just feels like, Hey, especially for a sport that's niche, like the NHL, if you can generate any amount of revenue more, you know, even outside of a pandemic times, uh, I think you should go that route. Um, it just so happens it's easier for other, other, uh, sports to have the advertising off the jerseys because if you're like the nfl it's just all over everything else you know there's a huge mm -hmm. stadium they can pan around and all this other stuff on the sidelines or whatever it's just harder for the nhl to do that outside of like stuff on the boards and it's like i don't know i just it makes sense to me to generate that extra revenue um yeah i can't wait for the schnooks logo on the blues jersey <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i'm looking up at the um just the Chicago Bulls jersey for for reference, and I don't it doesn't look like the logo that the um, actual advertising logo is on many of them. Um, maybe it's because it's a new season, and you know they haven't decided on an advertiser. And you know I'm I'm kind of out of my depth here in terms of ignorance, but feels like it, I just don't care. I don't know. I just don't care honestly. Like. <laughs> Maybe I should, maybe it's, it's the right thing to care and, and really, you know, kind of, um, be uptight about it, but I, I just don't care. And the Nike swoop is already on there and that might be on there anyway. 
it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, I would be more, like I said, I'd be more sympathetic to Batman if this wasn't a ridiculous pandemic time where they desperately needed money anyway, you know, mm. but it is, it's ridiculous that they are fighting against something like this. And, and, and also, and this, this actually goes into the other point Friedman argued for that's this, this argument that like, well, we can't put it on the Canadians Jersey because that's the, that's the Jersey that Maurice Richard wore and Gila floor wore and, and stuff like that. It's just like, that is why your league needs to consider this because you can't grow your game or interest other people at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Friedman's other point was, well, they need to expand the playoffs because God, you know, that just makes such a big difference. And I know that argument. And I guess from a financial standpoint, I don't have anything to say against it other than just, it seems to me like the desperate, and it always has, and every league is doing it now, but it just seems like the desperate desperate answer to alternative to running your business better and attracting more people to watch it you know and the Mm -hmm. nhl cannot grow its brand it cannot market its stars it cannot interest people in its teams or its products outside of a few select markets that are just where it's just making money hand over fist because it's not hard to market the maple leafs in toronto you know but like it the idea that they are worried about whether the Blue Jackets or the Chicago Blackhawks get into the playoffs, and they're not worried whether a random person on the street knows Connor McDavid's name. To me, is like the whole problem here. Mm-hmm. And I know Connor McDavid's a, a wet blanket. He's not fun. Look at his freaking murderer stalker <laughs> house that's circular. I mean, the guy has no personality. But that's on them. Find the people that do have personality. Mm-hmm. Our Timmy Panarin seems to have personality. And he's not getting marketed either, you know, Jordan Bennington, Pat Maroon, like if even if you're not going to have your biggest stars be the guys who are out there making headlines for your team, do something, anything, because the nobody cares about this sport. When Max Kellerman made that rant a couple of months ago about how every NHL team has 20,000 fans or whatever, you know, essentially whatever he said, he wasn't mm-hmm. that far from the truth. There's a hardcore fan base for these teams, and then there's a, a second circle of fans that will care when the team is good, you know, or when it's late in the playoffs. And, and those are the people who, you know, they hope to win over with expanding the playoffs. But then there's an ocean of people that are just completely on it, disinterested, and that's because you haven't found a way to get them into the game. And that's on you. That should be your biggest concern. That should be what you're worried about. And I guarantee you there being a little MasterCard logo on the New York Rangers sweater isn't what's going to keep those people from coming into your game. You know, it's freaking racial injustice issues that you're not, you know, that you're dealing with poorly and half-heartedly and not more even than that honestly sadly is not having stars that anyone knows or cares about or you know not explaining the game well enough to people or having Pierre Lebrun or wrong Pierre Pierre Maguire be your (laughs) primary national voice you know it's those sorts of things that they still suck so bad at and so I hate to hear this idea. Well, really, it's it's a 31-team league, so how can you not have 20 teams in the playoffs? To me, it's just like, I do agree with Batman there because Batman's really against it too. 
but the problem is we are against it for very different reasons, you know, or, or I guess we're against it for the same reason, but he's not looking at the bigger picture, I guess. So sorry, I kind of went on a rant, but how do you feel about expanded playoffs or anything I just said? Uh, expanded playoffs. I mean, they're and, inevitable. So I kind of like am over it, over yeah, it, but. It's I funny you that. say that because that's how I feel. I'm sort of like, I same thing as the uh, advertisement where it's like, man, I really didn't want this. And I'm kind of like, all right, fine. I guess if that's what you got to do. Um, and I, I don't really find it as, as sacred anymore. Um, I guess th- to me, it just makes it a little bit easier, I guess, to say, if you didn't make the playoffs, you're one of the 12, I guess, yeah, 12 teams that didn't make the playoffs. You suck. <laughs> There's 20 teams that make it, and I'm not going to hear that because, you know, the New Jersey Devils were number 22. They're like, I don't know. We were pretty close, you guys. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, there's 20 of them. There's some bad teams in the playoffs now. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind if they, if they were to go that route. And it's, I guess, like you said, it feels more, more inevitable, and it is one of those things where – they did have more fans engaged, I'm assuming, through the bubble and everything like that because they had that, that play-in round. Um, I'd be interested to see how they, how they do that with the, our four divisions currently and, like, the two conferences um, or how they even do that this season with their newfangled conferences that they haven't even really actually, like, rolled out and talked about other than just pretty much hinting that they'll be an all-Canadian division. Um, so I'd, I'd be interested in seeing that. I'm I'm into new stuff. I guess I'm, it's one of those things where I'm so desperate for hockey where I'm like, if this gets it done, go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like you they fight over stuff like this and then it's like you hear an idea like, and I'm not saying this is a perfect idea or whatever, but you hear an idea about, you know, playing a game in uh, Lake, what is it, Lake Lucille, whatever the lake is, up north in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, you couldn't do that. And it's like, why? People would care. People would watch that. People, you know, you do your stadium series and that's supposed to be your big attraction event. Why wouldn't you do a game between the Canadians and Maple Leafs and freaking Banff or wherever? People are going to watch to watch hockey in a beautiful location. You're the only sport that can do that, even theoretically. You know, you're the only sport that can set up something out there in a location like that and play the game you can't do it once for novelty that's the sort of stuff that they fight about where i'm like do anything to get eyes on your product and then for the brief seconds where you have eyes convince them why they need to love austin matthews which they shouldn't or uh connor mcdavid or whoever's in the game you know find ways to get those guys front and center because that's your biggest win because right mm-hmm. now you're such a distant fourth. You're a distant fourth even while the other leagues are losing viewership and and MLB is falling apart and you're still embarrassingly behind them, you know? And, like, it's just, I don't know, it's just really frustrating to me because it seems like they're putting the cart before the horse in some ways and then putting the horse, you know, out to pasture without a cart at all in other ways. <laughs> and. Uh, I just don't, I don't follow it. I don't. They're so happy to keep their, like, they're so happy to keep those 20,000 fans. They just want to, they just need those people to be pleased. And it's like, yeah, they're already here. Yeah. And it's also like. You're not going to lose. You're just not, I just feel like you're not going to, you and I are pretty big fanatics. I'm sure there's an even bigger out there, obviously, but it's like, I don't think you're losing anyone by introducing these things, you know, if anything, you're gaining people. It just feels like, why? 
why with the super duper sacredness you're not killing the game i mean how well, they, used, also, they used to not be able to pass the puck forward and that's part of the actual game <laughs> yeah and that's also like they will say these arguments in one out of one side of their mouth and then out of the other side of their mouth they'll say hey look we're going to release the new jersey that for every team in the league that is intentionally ridiculous and gaudy and you're going to buy them and that was a clear cash grab and that's fine i am Mm -hmm. fine with that being a clear cash grab as i've said many times if people want to buy it great the nhl needs revenue right now but like i don't get why putting uh uh, Kleenex logo on the <laughs> Toronto Maple Leaf jersey is so much more offensive than having that reverse retro Maple Leaf jersey that kind of sucks, you know? Like, I just mm-hmm. that's just not logic I follow, and it bothers me that the NHL is the way that it is. Um, they talk about uh, on the podcast that owners felt angry because they were held out of the first negotiation and they felt like if they'd know more, they would have said more. That's BS because they just do whatever Batman says for them to do all the time. So I don't like hearing that loud in logic. And then apparently <laughs> players said it's never been cheaper, cheaper to borrow money at one point. And uh, people were owners were pissed about that and thought it was uh, trite, which it was, but also you're billionaires and people don't have any sympathy for you for so stop playing the sorry sorrow card, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the players feel like the big sacrifice they made for this league was going to the bubble, which was awful for everyone involved, you know. So, like, I don't know what why you are okay, you know, I don't. I get why they are not okay suddenly making a bunch more concessions for this league that isn't really giving them anything, you know? I don't even know if they're guaranteed, like, for sure to go to the next Olympics or whatever right now and things that they really care about. So, in any case, it is what it is to me. And I, I, you know, despite what we said in the intro, I think they'll find some way to get something done because they – need to um they need to make as much money as they could could um as they can but i don't like where this is headed and i don't like that they're doing this again when do you think we start playing well that's the other thing is i think after with all of this they'll still just do january 15th or whatever they'll just it's what they always do right they'll push it to the wire and then they won't actually change that much and they'll get it done just in time you know i i don't know that's kind of my feeling i don't think that's the thing is they have a pretty tight window to me anything after february 1st is getting ridiculous for the start of a season you know mm-hmm. for the start of an nhl season so I think maybe it go, goes back that far, but I still sort of think that it's like we're going to hear, you know, maybe around, not Christmas, but, you know, maybe around December 17th or 18th. It's like, oh, there's there's traction towards the deal. They're trying to get ready to play in a month. And it's like, you know, then they're like, well, they want to start camps right after Christmas. So, and then it'll be on December 20th. They'll have a deal and they'll all plan to play on the, you know, 15th or 20th or whatever of January. Because I just think that's how these jackasses um, play, you know, kind of play hardball, I guess. So I don't yeah. know what's your read on it. Yeah, I've, I've, that's what I was thinking. I was like, man, you can't start any later than like the beginning of February because they want to, they always keep talking about um, wanting to award the cup like by 
beginning of July, middle of July, something like that. So you can just have that little short off season, kind of like we already did and start again. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that has to, that has to mean that the start of the season would be in January at some point. And I don't think we're going to go for anything less than say, you know, half of the games you would normally play. So anything less than 40. Um, So I would have, I would think they're probably going to play 50 something games, maybe even up to like 60 crammed together um starting yeah i'd say probably january 15th you're right we we make it sound like it's really close and it's close but it's not crazy close we just started december and they can make a lot of headway before uh christmas it is one of those things though where it feels like what if i'm looking at my calendar here uh you have about like three weeks ish though maybe the week after christmas too but like if you don't hear anything you don't hear very much by christmas they've got like one week to like really push because after that, I think it's just like uh, there's there's um, a season in jeopardy, I would think. I don't think it would be canceled, but I just maybe like a season that's really worth anything, <laughs> you know, or like we sorry, folks, we decided to do a 30 game season. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. OK, I'll take it. But it just doesn't seem nearly as as robust as what you could have done if you could actually agree on anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh I don't know. It's just all a mess. And I'm just so sick of this crap with this league. I don't, I don't know. I get, it just feels like everything is just, well, the things we've always done must be the only things that work. And it feels to me like Gary Bettman has got to go, but he's never going to go until he just retires of his own free will. And then they're just going to pick Bill Daly or some hand-picked Gary Bettman replacement. They're never going to get any change or any new blood in this league, and they're never going to change their philosophy. And um, It is what it is. It's going to stay around for a long time because there's a lot of money and a lot of rich people involved, but this kind of stuff really does tick me off and kind of the way that they're talking about saying that the public isn't going to have a lot of sympathy for them. I don't, and the pandemic hasn't screwed me all that much, you know? So, like, <laughs> I can't imagine people who are already the kind of people that work blue collar jobs and are being asked to pay $500 to get into a a Maple Leafs game, you know, and, and do it because they love the sport that much You hear about this kind of stuff and just have no patience for it. So they'll figure it out because that's what organizations eventually do, but um, it's going to be, it has been, and will continue to be a bumpy road. So Whatever. Uh, speaking of things that have been on a bumpy road, our best blue to wear the numbers series uh, has been inconsistent at best and choppy at worst. But we're back with the 30s, numbers 33 through 40, uh, which uh, includes eight numbers, I think, seven or eight numbers. Let's do it, Ian. Are you excited? I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. There's some great players in this. And some real snoozers. <laughs> uh, but my favorite part is butchering the names. So oh, here we go. Number 33 had Gil Graton. I'm going all French on French pronunciations. Um, number uh, 33 also had Doug Grant, John Smirky. No, uh, no, uh, no vowels in your last name there, John. Nothing. Nothing. Couldn't give me a. <laughs> couldn't give me a single vowel. Just at the end there. Okay. Dick Lambie, Mark Reeds, Bill Stewart, Kent Carlson, Jim Vesey, father of Jimmy Vesey, as one might uh, have sussed out. <laughs> Stefan Quintal, Quintal, Bill Holder, 
Fred Nipshear, which is uh, sounds like he should have played in the 50s, uh, <laughs> as we'll see a couple of times in here. Kent Sutton, Ken Sutton, Trent Yanni, Scott Pellerin, uh, Reed Simpson, Eric Boganecki, uh, Steve Popst, another one that feels like he's a 60s hockey player for sure. Andy Wozniewski, David Koki or Kochi, I think Koki. I'm going with Koki. Tyson Strachan, Jordan Leopold, Jordan Car- Caron, and Jordan Cairo. The three Jordans rounding out 33. Uh, I am fairly confident that there will be a time in the not too distant future where Jordan Cairo is the runaway winner of this uh, title, this illustrious title. Uh, Mark Reed's played 320 games as a blue and 45 of had 45 goals and 105 assists 150 points but he did not play the majority of those wearing the number 33 scott pellerin played a couple of seasons in the number 33 had a total of 296 games played 44 goals 67 assists and 11 points uh mark reeds before became a coach after his playing career uh before tragically passing away early and scott pellerin is the current director of maple leafs player development however the one man who took number 33 and stuck with it for his many storied seasons with the st louis blues and the man that we are begrudgingly giving the best player to wear number 33 to is for the time being center which i would have sworn he was a defenseman eric boganicki who had 125 games played 29 goals 36 assists for 65 points with a surprisingly strong plus 17 plus minus eric boganicki took over as an assistant coach for the bridgeport sound tigers in 2011 ian and he is still an assistant coach for the bridgeport sound tigers that is not a league or at least a team that sees a lot of turnover Eric Boganecki, the best player to wear 33. Any thoughts? Um, a storied player, just from the name alone, and yeah, only you, the name. <laughs> you have strong memories of Eric Boganecki? Did he play uh, Super Nets in your parents' basement? <laughs> no, he was not present. That's a shame. Uh, number 34, Ian, you uh, you discussed these guys, so I'll let you unveil our winner. But to read the names here, we've got Bob Hess. Rick Wilson, Rick with no C Wilson. He's so edgy. Mike <laughs> Posavad, Posavad, you know, you, you guys, I hope you enjoy the butcheries if you know them. Michael Dark. Ooh, that's a cool name. Michael Dark. That sounds like an either a secret agent name or a porn name for sure. <laughs> Robert Dirk, Michael Dark and Robert Dirk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dominic Lavoie, Randy Scarda, Murray Barron, uh, Michelle Picard who also sounds like he should have been in the 60s. Reed Lowe. Uh, <laughs> every time I say Reed Lowe's name, my, my brain thinks Reed Lowe's Sweet Chariot, and that's not <laughs> <laughs> Manny Legacy and Jake Allen. Uh, Ian, tell us about the greats to wear number 34. The greats, in, in quotations. Um, <laughs> you got Murray Barron, defenseman for the Blues, played... Um, from 1903 to 1987, it looks like he also took a stint here in uh, 2003-2004, probably with a different number. Um, 409 games played, 13 goals, 40 assists, 53 points. Murray Barron uh, in 2011 began coaching, 
began his coaching career as an assistant coach for the Kootenay International Junior Hockey League's Kamloops Storm. And uh, he also coaches for Kamloops Minor Hockey, enjoying his his retirement up in Kamloops. Kamloops is a beautiful city. Yeah, for for my my, uh, Google Earth vacations there. Look exactly. amazing. Yep. 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 You I'll never it. be caught dead there. Um, <laughs> Reed Lowe played for the Blues in 2001 and 2004. 140 games played, 63 goal. Or uh, where, 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 how did I type this up? Reed Lowe has uh, is a goalie apparently in this thing. Wow. But Very he's not nice. actually. These are not his stats. False. False stats. In did fact, you actually. Mean- to type Manny Legacy and wrote Reed Lowe's name instead. Maybe. Probably. I think I probably did. But you know what? Manny Legacy at 140 games played, 63 wins, 49 losses, and 15 overtime or losses or ties. Uh, 0.905 save percentage and 2.62 goals against average. That's funny because uh, I was kind of surprised that you typed uh, that you had excluded Manny Legacy from even consideration. And this makes so much sense. Reed Lowe had 250 games played, three goals, 16 assists for 19 points and 690 penalty minutes, yeah, almost it, three per game. It said Lowe twice accumulated over 50 penalty minutes in a single game, 57 nice. versus Calgary in 2002 and 53 against Detroit also in 2002. And an um, average time on ice of 557 per game i'll say this i will say this on a retraction on on our on our earlier statement at least this backwater league has gotten crap like that out of this game i know people like fighting and people like tough guys but a dude who played 557 per game and had almost three penalty minutes per game his job was to get penalty minutes and that's mm-hmm. stupid that's <laughs> stupid even if you like fighting even if you like the roughhousing that concept is stupid so i'm glad it's gone so good be, work on that nhl be careful because he currently resides in suburban st louis and could be I have to nothing podcast. against reed low and i hope he made plenty of money <laughs> doing it but i am also glad that that element has gone from the game yeah and then the the winner the winner by a long shot for number thirty four uh, Jake Allen two hundred eighty nine games played one hundred forty eight wins ninety four losses twenty six OTU losses .913 save percentage and a two point five goals against average with twenty one shutouts does that lead the Blues the twenty one trails uh, Brian Elliott's oh it's twenty five that's right no. that's right. Five per season over five seasons. I mean, Jake Allen. Jake Allen's the best number thirty-four, but he's not the best Brian Elliott. No, he is not the best Brian Elliott. Not by a long shot. Jake though. Allen, you get this award as you're headed out the door. Best Aww. of luck, sir. You can wear. You know what? You can wear those sweet, sweet, sweet reverse retros for the Canadians. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll get an Allen reverse retro. That'd be kind of cool. Nobody mm-hmm. thought. Nobody else will have one, so uh, I might do that. Uh, you've given me a good idea. Jake Allen, the best number 34. Well-deserved. Listen, Jake Allen, he had his ups and downs here, but there was never any question that he cared about this team, that he always put his best foot forward, that he worked hard, and that he had a good attitude and was well-liked here by uh, fans and coaches and management alike. So genuinely best of luck to him. And he's already signed his uh, new contract. So he's going to be a Montreal Canadian for a while. That's close to home for him, which has got to be nice in the pandemic. Uh, nothing but good things for Jake Allen in the future. Number 35. 
35. Brian Ogilvie, Jim Pavisi, Steve Tuttle, Christopher, Christer? What? Ooh, oh, don't like that. Christer Olson? I'm going to say Christer instead of Christer. Jim Carey, uh, researching a role for the mask, played a, bit, a few games in 1999. Brent Johnson, 2001 to 2004. Hanu Toivonen, 2008. Chris Holt, 2009. And Billy Husso, who could run away with this title after a strong season, if you really wanted to, uh, in uh, 2020. Ian, tell us about uh, our number 35. There, there, there's some people on here. <laughs> <laughs> you got That's some. It. You got some people. That's uh, you got it. You got Jim Pavise or James Peter Pavise as he was born. Uh, defenseman, 263 games played, 10 goals, 34 assists, 44 points. Uh, he also played for the now Montana Magic, who I looked up and were part of the Central Hockey League, which was a thing. Did they have a cool logo or anything? Uh, it's kind of neat. It looks sort of like the Islanders logo. You know how there's an island in Montana? I don't know. Uh-huh. It's those colors. Yeah. Oh, it's it sure interesting. does. That's just, interesting, yeah. You know, I'm Jim, here for it. I, I, give, I give it to Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Tuttle, uh, right wing, 144 games played for the Blues, 28 goals, 28 assists, 56 points. A pretty good, you know, almost a point or have point five points per game player that doesn't sound that doesn't roll off the tongue um steve tuttle tuttle's most commonly remembered for being the player whose skate accidentally slashed the throat of clint mallerchuk during a 1989 game against the buffalo sabers that's what he's most known for (laughs) (laughs) i was trying to see what other what other uh totals he had points for other teams uh no totals he played all his games for us very good for him yeah, you know, I, I might give it to Steve Tuttle on that alone, <laughs> not the throat slashing. Uh, and then you have Brent Johnson, storied goalie. This one is a goalie. 143 yeah, yeah, games played, <laughs> 76 wins, 47 losses, 12 OT losses, maybe even some ties. 0.903 save percentage, 2.27 goals against, 12 shutouts. Uh, half of what Jake Allen had in shutouts, more than half. So I'd say. You got to give it to Brent Johnson, but actually I would, because I remember that player. And he actually, I think he, let's see, I type in Brent Johnson. I'm sure he'll give me the hockey player for sure. Yeah, there's hockey. no other Brent Johnson. I just want to see, I want to see how many uh, games he started. But of course, he gave me somebody else. All right, Elite Prospects. He's not even a prospect anymore. All right, hockey reference. Tell me how many games he started. He started on a mouth that it won't tell me. <laughs> Just had yeah, 143 games played. Good. They didn't track that back then. Anyways, you give it to Brent Johnson. Um, you know, there's not that many on here, and that's what the plaque reads for Brent Johnson <laughs> for number 35. In his personal section on Wikipedia, it says Johnson is also a fan of the English rock band Led Zeppelin. Did we need the clarification? Oh, I thought you, I thought you meant the Dominican ska band Led Zeppelin. I'm Zeppelin. glad you're talking about Dread Zeppelin. Right <laughs> Number 36. No commercials, no mercy on this podcast. 36 had Ken Richardson, Neil Labatt Blue. 
Rob Tudor, <laughs> Rob Whistle, Glenn Featherstone, Philippe Bozon, JJ Dignot, Kevin Sawyer, Robert Petrovicki, Brian Helmer, Dan Treble, Jesse Bullerish, Bullerish, Bullerice, whatever. Bullerice, Mickey Dupont, also a guy. Come on, stop it with the 60s <laughs> names, man. Uh, Matt D'Agostini and Troy Brower. Glenn Featherstone played 144 games played, five goals, 29 assists, 34 points as a left-handed defenseman, and 371 penalty minutes. He was also notably named Glenn Featherstone, which is a cool name, you got to admit. Looking up his Wikipedia page, he has done nothing else. He played for the (laughs) Indianapolis Ice and the Chicago Wolves, and and when the International Hockey League folded in 2001, Featherstone retired. Philippe Bozon. I like played. the thought of that. You know what? If they're done, I'm done too. Yeah. You know what? They're in the league that's going to take old Gwen Featherstone <laughs> now. And I better call it quits. Philippe Bozon uh, was a player for the Blues for 144 games and 16 goals, 25 assists, 41 points, 101 penalty minutes as a winger. He was actually French. Not just pretend make believe Montreal French oh. for him, and he played for the St. John Beavers, which I just think is a funny name because <laughs> I'm a child. He was inducted into the IIHF Hall of Fame for reasons in 2008, and on July 14, 2019, he was the named uh, the head coach of the French National Junior Ice Hockey Team. He's Mellon, married to Helen Barbier, who is an alpine skier. They have three sons. Tim and Kevin played for professional hockey. Uh, and one of them, uh, Tim Bozon, was selected by the Montreal Canadiens in the 2012 draft. So, you know, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff for Philippe Bozon. Maybe he's the winner. <laughs> Maybe he's the guy. He was even occasionally on the scoring line with Brett Hull. Uh, Ian. So you know he was uh, too bad for Brett. Quite a player. <laughs> uh, Matt D'Agostini, uh, a fan favorite for me at least. I don't know if anyone else. Fast. You can't. You got to give Matt D'Agostini the speed. He had wheels. 160 games, 31 goals, 35 assists, 66 points, 13 plus uh, plus 13, 71 penalty minutes as a winger. Ian Matt D'Agostini to me is the player that. I really thought was a great player until I later realized what good hockey players were. Do you agree or disagree with that sentiment? Yeah, I definitely thought he was like a second line, third line guy, like just a solid all arounder. And then it was sort of mm-hmm. like, oh wait, no, this is like one of those players that makes a bad team. You know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. you're like he's the type that would be on the uh, Detroit Red Wings now, and you're like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good right winger on your third line. You got to hold on to that until anyone else shows up. <laughs> Yeah, in my mind, he was like at least Zach Sanford, where I'm like top young player, maybe isn't an elite future, but just going to be a decent NHLer for a long time. Uh, and that was not to be the case. Troy Brower was a decent NHLer for a long time, and then he was still an NHLer last season for reasons. But uh, in his two <laughs> stints with the Blues, he amassed 95 games played. 19 goals, 21 assists, 40 points, plus three, 69 nice penalty minutes. Uh, This is why we are forced to give him the top player to wear 36 recognition. No, 
Troy Brower edges out Matt D'Agostini. My heart choice is Matt D'Agostini. But Troy Brower takes the cake for having a top five historic goal in St. Louis Blues history and pushing us past the Chicago Blackhawks in game seven of the uh, divisional playoffs in 2016, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, for that, we give Troy Brower the honors. Let him not return to the Blues this upcoming season. <laughs> May it ever be so. Number 37, Scott Harlow uh, was the first player to wear 37 for the St. Louis Blues in 1988. Robert Dirk makes a return. Kevin Meme was not a meme because he wasn't funny. He just sucked. Jeff Batters in 1995, Roman Vopa in 1996, Harry York, 97 and 98, Jeff Finley for five walking seasons, Dan McCammond, Mike Glumack, Nathan Oistrick, and young Clem Coston are the players to wear 37 uh, in the St. Louis Blues uniform. Ian, tell us about these players. Harry York, Harry York, and Jeff Finley. These are the only two people we're talking about. I'm sure these other guys were great. Sorry, everyone. Um, Harry York, center, played 132 games with the Blues in the 97-98 season. 18 goals, 24 assists, 42 points. I like the name. And then I found out that York is of Cree descent and during his career was one of the first, one of several First Nation players in the NHL. That's cool. So that's cool. That's neat. Uh, there was, I can't remember who it was. There was a First Nations player, like one of the first that like passed away recently. Yes, I will look it up real quick okay. and I will butcher his name. It is uh, Fred Sassacamoose, um, who is apparently very influential. It's something I'm a bit ignorant on, um, not just because I'm, but mostly because I'm not Canadian, I hope. Um, hopefully they know a lot more than I do. And also my hockey history is terrible, but uh an important player. I know that uh, he meant a lot to Gary Bettman and obviously to his uh, uh, to the First Nations and, and the people he represented. So yeah, that is uh, sad to see him pass. And Alex Trebek as well, big hockey fan. Sad, oh, uh, sad couple months. But this is not about being sad. Who else wore number 37? Ian? There's also John Jeffrey Finley, who goes by Jeff Finley. Why not go by John Jeffrey Finley? That seems like something a kid today would do. Yeah, um, you should go by John Jacob Jingleheimer then. <laughs> JJF. Uh, 371 <laughs> games played, six goals, 20 assists, defenseman, uh, 34 points overall. He's a plus 46, so I don't think that's anything to sneeze at. His son, Jack, plays for the Spokane Chiefs in the WHL, and he was drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, in the 2020 entry draft. So good job, uh, Jack Finley. Yeah. And your father gets the best number 37. 37, my personal favorite number. Really? I didn't know that. Congratulations. In my head, Uh, I was going to say it's because it adds up to 10, um, unlike any other number, but that's not true at all. (laughs) 73, 55, 46. You know, take your pick. There's quite, there's so many. 28, (laughs) 82. Oh, boy. Ian, I just found... A, a new favorite uh, hockey logo ever for Brûlée de Lou in Grenoble, France, a team for which uh, our aforementioned French player once played. I'm going to drop this in the uh, chat here for you because you got to see this logo. It's pretty sick. It's a uh, it's a it's a wolf, except half of the wolf's head is on fire. <laughs> what the heck? 
Uh, I don't know, but I love it. I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you. I just straight up love it. So what's happening? Um, this is very, um, this is very a uh, Marvel looking, you know, yeah. or like a comic book looking. Yeah, yeah, it is. Why? Why? I want this explained to me. Why? Don't, Cristobal don't Huey played for Grenoble. Who did? Cristobal Huey, the former ah. Montreal Canadian Chicago Blackhawks goaltender. Who's now 45. So it's like QC now. Um, <laughs> man, international hockey logos. We should pay more attention to those. Oh man, you gotta now, look at you gotta look at Australian ones sometime. They just like straight rip the NHL. They just like different colors and they like oh, this yeah. is the Flyers jersey or the Flyers logo, but it's going down. <laughs> you're like, okay. Totally different. Ian, tell us about, about the number 38. And the players to wear that number. I guess I can read the names real quick. Dominic oh, Lavoie makes an appearance again. Igor Korolev, followed by Pavel Dimitra, the great Pavel Dimitra, dearly missed, as is Igor Korolev for that matter. Gary Lehman, Kevin Dolman, Brad Boys, Brad Boys, what you gonna do? Not <laughs> his primary stint with the Blues wearing this number, uh, but a brief stint in 2007. Dave Scatcherd. 2011 and philip mccray in 2011 ian who are your top candidates you gotta go with uh igor korolev and uh pavel dimitria um you know they're intertwined with their number they're intertwined in history uh together now with the uh i don't know what was it how long was that the 2011 plane crash they're both on with locomotive um very sad i didn't realize i was telling you that they had the number 38 on their helmets that year and I remember being like oh they're only honoring Pavel Dimitra that's kind of you know it's slightly weird but I didn't realize they both wore the same number so that's actually really cool um Igor Korolev 147 games played 10 goals 33 assists 43 points I want to say though that while he didn't play a lot for the Blues he had a he had a long career in the NHL I believe that was written down yeah he played uh 795 games 346 points so with the, let's see, Toronto Maple Leafs, Winnipeg Jets, uh, Chicago Blackhawks for a little bit. So, yeah, he was he was around in the NHL. Um, but for the Blues and for Blues history, number 38 has to go to Pavel Dimitra. 494 games played, 204 goals, 289 assists, 493 points, a plus 99. And he was the recipient of the 1999-2000 Lady Bing Trophy. Uh, great guy, one of, our, one of my uh, favorite players. And uh, I know many, many Blues fans' favorite player. And it's too bad to see how both these guys, both these guys' lives uh, ended. But I think we'll, we'll give them both the best 38, but it really was a pop. Yeah. And interestingly, the uh, number 38 has not been worn since that 2011 season. So you wonder if it's sort of oh, yeah. semi un- unofficially retired for the Blues. Hard to know for sure. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's also just a, a rarer number, so it could be that nobody wanted to take it. But I wouldn't be against them retiring it if they're going to retire, you know, Bob Gassoff for uh, tragic early passing. It wouldn't be uh, out, out of the question. And Pavel Dimitra is genuinely one of the better players in uh, franchise history. So, In any mm-hmm. case, sad, uh, but Pavel Dimitra is a great all-time great. And uh, like you said, one of my favorites, one of your favorites. So definitely deserving of the honors number 39 
I've got no questions here. There will be people who do. Kelly Chase wore the number from 1990 to 2000. Scott Pellerin, again, appearing in every number between 30 and 40, uh, 1997. Doug Waite, 2002 to 2008. And then since Doug Waite took off the Blues number 39, it has had quite a journey from Ryan Miller to Anders Nilsson to Nate Prosser, to Mitch Reinke in the one game he played immediately after being signed and the only game he's played to date in the NHL. <laughs> um, Mitch uh, Kelly Chase played 345 games, played with the Blues 40 points, and had 1497 penalty minutes. He was the winner of the 1997-98 King Clancy Award and obviously a longtime radio voice for the Blues much beloved in that role. However, I personally have no questions and no qualms saying that for on ice performance, uh, he's falls behind Doug Waite with 364 games played, 75 goals, 220 assists for 295 points, just 247 penalty minutes and 14, a plus 14 rating. Doug Waite also at the very end of his career, uh, with the Islanders rather than the Blues, won a King Clancy Award and, of course, won the Stanley Cup in 2006 and has since been a coach um, of the Islanders. What's uh, Dougie doing now? I don't know if uh, I know what he's up to these days. Is he in a front office somewhere? I'll look him up. In any case, Doug Waite, uh, to me, gets the nod over Kelly Chase. Would you argue with that at all? No, I think I give it to Doug Wade. Doug Wade was also like the best player here when we were just like kind of in the doldrums, the end uh, of the Quinville era. I was like the only good player here. It was, I mean, again, definitely our best. So I'd give it to Doug Wade. It was too bad that he wasn't here a little bit longer. Um, yeah. I suppose we kind of got him a little bit at the end of his career, did we not? So, and I know he got traded uh, to, to Carolina. Is that what you said? We traded him to Carolina and then came back. Yep, um, yep. Yeah, I'd give it to him. I know Kelly Chase kind of maybe means more long-term to this this uh, franchise with him still being here and everything. But, yeah, I think I'd give it to Dougie. Yeah, I mean, I I, I really struggle not to prejudice myself against uh, beat-em-up guys. Kelly Chase was, you know, probably our best ever. Uh, give him credit for that. And, obviously, the broadcasting helps um, his legend here. And he was a great guy, is a great guy, but just – to me, loses it by a nose to Doug Waite, which I don't feel like we picked a, a lightweight to take that honor from him. Doug Waite's pretty good company. So finally, number 40, Ian, this is ooh, quite a list of heavyweights. <laughs> Terry Richardson, Dave Tomlinson, Guy Bear, Nathan Lafayette, Lafayette. Fred Braithwaite, Patrick Lalim, Merrick Schwarz, Maxime Lapierre, and Carter Hutton are the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Did I count? Ten? Uh, nine players to wear this number. Fred Braithwaite played 55 games and had a 21-20 and 8 record with an 891 save percentage, a 2.51 goals against average, and four shutouts. Merrick Schwarz, despite being a former first round pick, played just six NHL games, all with the St. Louis Blues. Carter Hutton, on the other hand, played 62 games, went 30-15-5, a 923 save percentage, a 223 goals against average, seven shutouts, just enough to get him a contract that the Buffalo Sabres have immediately regretted ever since. But good for him. Baby, you get your money. And Carter Hutton also gets 
the award for the best blues player to wear number 40 in what I would not call a group of very stiff competition. Any thoughts on the number 40, Ian? Um, no. Man, no. I was, I was looking through this list of everyone and I was like, no, not at all. Um, Hutton had a Hutt- run here. And- yeah, another guy that, no offense to Jake Allen, uh, pushed him for his job. <laughs> and the nope, string of nope. folks that pushed Jake Allen for his job. Um, yep. yep. And, and then he went to Buffalo, and I think he's probably been absolutely fantastic there, and there's nothing wrong with him, uh, you know? Ian, uh, it's uh, the doldrums of the non-hockey season. Uh, the boys have basically played one month of hockey since March, uh, so it's been hard to get a podcast together week in and week out. And in fact, we haven't done it week in and week out, but we've been pretty good, I think, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the remainder of We're the trying. podcast, we've got this and that, odds and ends, uh, here and there, whatever you want to call it, tip for tat, just a few things that I wanted to run down and discuss real quick. Uh, Jeremy Rutherford yesterday released a, a long mailbag on The Athletic. I will be wary about reading too much of his word-for-word responses, so as to encourage you to descri- subscribe if you want, no free pub. Um, but uh, Jeremy's great, and of course, we love his writing. Um, the first guy asked if Alex Petrangelo leaving hurt us. And I will read more of this answer because I personally think that Jeremy's response is a bit generous. Uh, I would like to, I'd like to hear your take first, though. Uh, The question, while everyone keeps thinking that Alex Petrangelo leaving hurt us, I'd actually argue the opposite. Less money tied up long-term, clears up the logjam on right defense, and we add offense from the defense. I see this as a trend in the right direction, no? Jeremy's response. If you're looking at this situation after the dust settled with Petrangelo leaving but the Blues signing Tory Krug, then I think you can make the case that everything worked out fairly well. I felt that Petrangelo's departure would definitely hurt. I felt that the Blues championship window is open now. He helps you win now, and even a contract that took him to age 37 or 38 was worth the risk. So if he would have left and the Blues had not signed Krug, I would have viewed that as a mistake. That said, the way it worked out was probably the best possible outcome, false. Colton Pareko may not be Petrangelo, but he's capable of being a number one defenseman. False. This will also give Justin Falk a better chance of succeeding. I'm not saying he will succeed. True. But he'll have a better chance. And Krug is a different, is a terrific player who can replace Petrangelo's points. False. Plus, he's cheaper. The Blues are going to miss Petrangelo's all-around game, five-on-five penalty killing, etc. But this arrangement has the potential to be good, and it frees up a little bit of money. I'd be careful to focus too much on the savings because they're giving Krug $6.5 million per year over seven years, which is only slightly less than they would have given Petrangelo. But any little bit will help when they go to re-sign Jaden Schwartz, Robert Thomas, and or Pareko. Ian, how do you feel about that reading of... Um, of uh, that situation uh i don't know it's like i get it you you gotta polish what's going on and i don't mind having tory crew here obviously it's way better to have tory crew here than have nothing and i know that's kind of jeremy's point um but it does kind of look like you're polishing a, a little bit of a turd after the fact you know where it's like well come on guys this you know we lost Petrangelo, but let's not focus on the loss let's focus on what we have now which is a very healthy mindset and these people are much healthier mentally than i am but all i see is like yeah can we just call a spade a spade and just be like 
yeah, we got worse. The team got worse. Yeah. Like in the story. And we and then we can and then we can move on and talk about whatever, but it seems like they never want to call it that. They're just kind of like, yeah, you misses in two-way play and whatever, but that's a, you know, that's all right. And it's like, no, you just made you just kind of made the point and then sort of just walked over the problem. Um I don't know. Like I again, it's nothing in Tori Krug, and I'm glad he's here, but it's just one of those like, let's not try and make it sound like Tori Krug is like more to the fans point, like some sort of replacement or like, it's really better that we got more of an offensive player. It's really better that we got like a tinier defenseman and yada, yada. It's like, it's not, it's not basically what we ended up with was, was less than was a subtraction, but it's way better than it could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Tori Krug, 6.64 points per game, Alex Petrangelo 0.59 points per game. So I see the argument for Alex Petrangelo uh, scores fewer points than Krug. On the other mm-hmm. hand, Tori Krug's scoring a lot of those points playing on a power play with uh, Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, two pretty good guys, uh, two pretty good forwards, uh, Brad Marchand as well. So um, you just don't know. That's the thing about this. You really can't – I can't conclusively say it's a disaster and wouldn't, wouldn't want to. It's inter- There are interesting options. Some of the points he raised are fair. I certainly do think Falk will be better set up to have success this season. We've talked about that at length. Our sweet, our sweet, sweet stoner son uh, could be uh, just just in the right position for him to succeed. Um, Krug is exciting. I mean, I'm I'm glad we did go and make that signing. I am wary of saying that Pareko can be a number one defenseman because he can be a number one defenseman in the sense that he can play as our number one defenseman and we'll have to, but if you're thinking of a number one defenseman as Alex Petrangelo, um, then you're dead wrong. And I honestly, I think, and I'm not saying that uh, Jeremy meant it this way by any means, but I do think that the uh, argument he made, there was a a little bit of a slap in the face of exactly how good Alex Petrangelo is and, and underestimated a little bit just how significant he is. He is your captain. He's a cornerstone defenseman in every sense of the word. And replacing him is going to be not that ho- not easy. And I'm not that interested in, in losing and saving a million dollars to re-sign Jaden Schwartz, who we'll talk about a little bit later here. But, man, I don't want Jaden Schwartz to be here long term. And it seems like that's just inevitable. And when I look at the players from the cup team that you were going to – keep long term I would have started with Alex Petrangelo and moved on to Ryan O'Reilly and then figured out everybody else from there and it seems like they're going to get everybody else and not keep Alex Petrangelo so um, that's just a a strange situation so that's uh, my take on that answer Uh, the next question is about how uh, whether the Blues locker rooms fracturing early in the 2018-19 season uh, led to uh, Petrangelo's departure, essentially. An interesting answer. Uh, I'll let you read it if you uh, have a subscription. Rutherford certainly uh, hints that there was some uh, serious uh, fracturing at the time and that Armstrong and Petrangelo had some disagreements, but ultimately uh, Rutherford's position was that uh, the team you know, didn't let him go for that reason. Asked about the reverse retro jerseys and Rutherford's opinion. Um, you know, not, uh, not he's uh, kind of indifferent and just talked about how polarizing they are. This one's interesting. 
Um, Sam T asks, analytically, Vince Dunn looks like a top four defender, but with the addition of Krug, he will remain in the bottom pairing. Do you see him bottoming out as a good number five defenseman, or can he climb into the top four in coming years? Uh, this response is interesting. Dunn has to get an opportunity in the top four at some point, and I think he could handle it, but that's on him as much as it is the Blues. He has been a good player, and his analytics are terrific, but Dunn has admitted himself that he could be better prepared when he shows up each season. I'm not saying he's out of shape, but that seems to be what he is saying. <laughs> but I think the team believes that he, there could be more of a commitment. I don't think that helps him when it comes to getting more opportunities in the top four. The Blues weren't keen on the dumb Petrangelo pairing, and they had Jay Bomeister playing with Colton Pareko, so it was tough to fit Dunn in there. Now you've got Krug, Scandell, and Gunnarsson, along with uh, prospect Mikola and Perunovic, so there's still a logjam there. Uh, let's not act like uh, Carl Gunnarsson's part of that logjam, please. Um, but Armstrong did say when the Blues signed Krug that he'd like to see Dunn push his way into the top four, and if he creates that opportunity, I think that's his future. That's interesting only because I've never heard the – uh, really heard the rumors in the bushes that Dunn is uh, whatever you want to say just shows up out of shape or a little on the lazy side. I, uh, that's interesting. And it does kind of maybe explain why Baruby's not quite as high on him. Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, what was it? He was kind of part of the the Fortnite crowd for us, the Thomas, Thomas Dunn, Blay Fortnite crowd, but also mm -hmm. Robert Thomas seems fine and Blay other than seem to always be injured seems fine. So for a second, I thought maybe that spoke a little bit to his unpreparedness or whatever. Always like he's just one of those video game kids, but uh, mm -hmm. the other two seem to be all right. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just kind of a lackadaisical um, way about going about off-season training and everything. And you know, that's happened with a lot of young players, so it's not it's not something I necessarily worry about. It feels like something they could obviously just address and talk to him about. Um, and again, was oh man, was his rookie season? His rookie season wasn't 1718. I want to say, let me look it up. Okay. Cause like he wasn't a rookie the year he won the cup, but I was like, well, that's pretty early on in your career. And you're already probably kind of a headstrong guy. We already knew he was a little bit. Yeah. Uh, 17, 18. So like you win the cup, like your, you know, your sophomore season uh, and you're probably feeling pretty high on it, you know, man. So I, I can mm -hmm. see how that might get to your head or whatever. I've thought oh, about that for some of these younger guys. He just turned 24. He is, you know, that's defenseman mature at a lower, later age than other people. Um, listen, I'm not going to make any excuses. If he's not prepared for training camp, that's something he needs to correct. I'm, I'm a big fan of Vince Dunn, and uh, I want to see him corrected, obviously, but if that's something he needs to correct, it's something he needs to correct. Um, but like you said, I don't, I don't think it's, it's frightening. I just think it's something, Hey, you know, this is, you got to get this under wraps if you want to play a higher up the lineup. And if it turns out he's a guy that's comfortable just kind of skating along and, and being a, a perfectly good NHL, you know, third liner, uh, but not getting his opportunities or, you know, getting a higher opportunity and more money worth a worse team then maybe he can do that. I hope not, but um, I do hope I, I would like to see him sign just because I keep worrying about his uh, trade there, but it doesn't seem like that's the route the blues want to go. So at least that's a little encouraging. Um, you do have to wonder though, you know, long-term there's, you're not going to have all four of uh, Perunovic, Dunn and Scandella and um, Krug and, uh, you know, Krug and Perunovic and Dunn seem to be really of, of a very similar mold. So I would love it to have that three be your left side, even if it is a little defensively suspect, but I don't think uh, Berube or Armstrong would be the type who would be really keen on that arrangement. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. 
They asked uh, which of Pareko and Schwartz were more likely to stay uh, in 2023. And um, uh, Rutherford basically said both. And, you know, listen, Pareko's got to stay. I mean, if you didn't let go of Alex Petrangelo just to let Colton Pareko walk. Now you've got to pay. This is another situation that makes the Petrangelo thing dumb is now you pretty much got to pay Colton Pareko whatever he wants, um, which is going to end up being money not dissimilar to what you're paying Alex Petrangelo. So um, don't really understand that move, but I mean, I, I don't think you can let him leave. I don't get the, the infatuation with keeping Schwartz, though. I really don't. I'd rather trade him now and get value. I know we've talked about this a lot, um, but he's just a player that worries me with his injury history and his inconsistency. I know I've, I've used this stat a lot, but he's averaged something like 17.6 goals over the last five seasons and I know that the easy response is yeah well he's been injured a lot and my response would be to that would be yeah that's kind of my point like (laughs) he's been injured and inconsistent a lot and um yeah I mean this is a guy who's uh played 71 69 62 and 78 and 33 games in those last five seasons and he's not gonna he's not gonna give you a, a big break on money to pay him because he's injured a lot you know you're not going to pay him a a 85 percent prorated salary so i just don't i don't get the obsession with Jaden schwartz um there's a there's a on the fantasy football podcast i talk about or i listen to sometimes they have the concept of dropping a guy to the waiver wire as like as like a uh, basically as a bait for another team to pick him up and play him and realize that he's bad. And I'm not saying Jaden Schwartz is bad by any means, but this does sort of seem to me like that situation where I'd let him be someone else's worry. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know what he brings in the locker room. And obviously he's a great player and I have nothing against him. I just, I don't know. Um, that's my thought on Jaden Schwartz. Any thoughts on Jaden Schwartz from you? Uh, I think when we were talking about this before, I think he's going to end up being a, a lifelong blue to me, it feels like, where he's just going to gonna somehow be here the entire time and he'll have, you know, perfectly, you know, good stats and everything. And you'll just kind of look at him like, wow, he played like his entire career here, huh? Like weird, weird. Yeah, I think that's that. I'm, I'm okay with that. But yeah, I also feel like there's no reason to be married to the guy um, to make that long commitment especially in like the latter half of his career. And we already talked, he's pretty injury prone. Um, even when he, when he's going, he really makes this team hum. But I also think we don't, we don't necessarily require him, but we'll, I don't know. We'll see. I've kind of, it's one of those things where how these young guys pan out um, will make me feel differently, but is this the last year? Is this is the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously you have, you've got one year to figure that out, I suppose. Cause there's no way he's taking, you know, anything less than like, I'm assuming seven years, but I, I again, I don't know. Cause yeah, pandemic times, that, right. I can't give that dude seven years. I just right. can't. How no. do you give? how do you not no. give Alex Petrangelo eight years and whatever he wants, if you're willing to turn around and give Jaden Schwartz seven. Years? And it's kind of the thing I too, or like, like a Stastny deal, like four for yeah. eight or whatever, but like, and it's one of those things too where like they're not the same player like shen and schwartz but it's also one of those things where if you don't give shen that contract and somehow let's say just say his contract was four years when we got him instead of three or whatever five Mm -hmm. years instead of three um if he's still on his first contract 
after his Flyers contract when he gets here and Schwartz's ends and we give Schwartz seven years and I'm kind of like, eh, but fine. But then you can't give Shen those years. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I, yeah. I don't need both of those guys here for seven years. It's mm-hmm. one or the other. Yeah. I mean, I know they love, they like each other and they have a lot of chemistry, but it does seem like two very vanilla guys. And it's just, I think it goes to that bigger thing that we've talked about where it's like, okay, well, you know, and those, those kind of suspicious comments from Armstrong where it's like, okay, these guys want us a cup. Now it's time to give them theirs. And it's like, okay, but then first of all, if that's your philosophy, how do you let Alex Petrangelo leave? <laughs> and second of all, that's not, I'm already over the cup team. The cup team is gone. You let Alex Petrangelo leave and now anything that you can call resembling the cup team is out the window. This team is already like 30 or 40% different. If you just look at overall players who have come in and out, um, probably not that high, but 15 or 20% different. The defense is completely different almost to a man. Vince Dunn and Colton Pareko are like the two people, mm-hmm. right. That are like holdouts from that defense. Um, and, and I know it's only two years ago. It doesn't seem like that long, but, and only one season ago, <laughs> but that's the reality. And it's it's kind of weird to me to to live in this weird Frankenstein universe where it's like Jake Allen's gone. We don't know if Jordan Bennington's actually all that good. We're leaning on Billy Huso. We'll talk about those two in a minute here. We're leaning on Billy Huso to be like our backup, but we don't know what he is like at all in the NHL. Uh, we let our captain walk out. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko's shoulder is is a huge question mark. We don't know what his future looks like. Uh, we don't know who Robert Thomas or Jordan Cairo are long term. If they're s- superstars, stars, good players, or just kind of pieces. Um, but we can't possibly go forward without Jaden Schwartz and, and Brayden Shen. It's just like, how are those the two players that you've decided are absolute centerpieces of your team? And I think the point that you kind of triggered on is like. Well, it's like this season right now, it seems like you can't afford to not have Jaden Schwartz next season. And I get that in one sense, but also be creative then. Trade him now and get somebody who's on term, you know, do a TJ Oshie type of thing. I don't care, but like, it just, I just, I'm not, it's not that I, it's not that I think we're doomed if we sign Jaden Schwartz long term or anything like that. I'm I'm really not trying to beat up on the guy. I just don't think that he is a key 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 cog in this team i know we've talked about him as the straw that stirs the drink and like you said when he's healthy and when he's on top of his game he really can be that the problem is those times have seemed to be few and far between over the last several years and maybe you know maybe he's healthy now and he's healthy for the next five seasons and you Mm -hmm. sign him for five seasons at seven million dollars or whatever and it seems like an incredible deal and and it's great and and i sound like an idiot forever arguing this but i definitely have my concerns and it just seems like signing both of those guys is is kind of a weird decision to me i guess um but that's that uh they talked about can you take get a take on the goalie strategy with jake allen leaving and moving forward with bennington and others are we okay here uh Rutherford admits there's cause for concern. Uh, and then, you know, the next question is also about Huso. How are you feeling, Ian, about the Huso situation uh, and having him as, as kind of, you know, 
basically presumably our, our main backup. I mean, I still expect to maybe see that kind of uh, in-camp challenger, but there's not going to be a real camp this year, so it's kind of hard to have that. Um, if there's a taxi squad situation, maybe that's your kind of out uh, for having a third guy, you know, a, a Craig Anderson or a, um, Jimmy Howard or whoever who can sort of be that alternative there but what are your thoughts on Huso right now and the goalie situation overall yeah that's what I was going to say it was like um having him never I think he's played or he like came in relief one game uh mm-hmm. in the NHL because I know he played with the Blues um for at least a game there but yeah it's he hasn't had any NHL experience there's players that have done that before and been just fine. Obviously, you come in at some point, you know, everyone does that in the NHL experience. It just so happens that goalie is that much more important a role uh, to have some sort of experience there. And it's it's a little worrisome, but maybe this is the best season to do this in just because there's going to be fewer games. You can roll Bennington out there more if you're really afraid of exposing Huso and he can kind of get his feet wet a little. Um, but also at the same time, less games just means each one means that much more and do you really want to be trotting out uh, a fresh rookie goaltender on some of these back-to-backs which are going to happen you know when they talk about these these possible like weekend series where you might even play like three games or something in the same town against the same team um he might he might actually get exposed more that way with that setup and so i feel like they need to have yeah, like if they're having a taxi squad, another one of those veteran goalies, just sign them for league men or whatever they need and bring them in, like you said, a Craig Anderson and Jimmy Howard because um, our, our other friend, Gilly, is in the AHL. Like he's played like 12 NHL games or something like that, not even that many. Yeah. Um, and it just seems like you need someone with some NHL experience in case the wheels fall off, in case Bennington gets hurt. That's the thing. That's what I think is like Bennington, I'm sure will be fine. At the very least, he'll be like, you know, a 500 goalie or whatever in terms of his win-loss, be all right. But I worry that if he gets injured or can't play for a while or gets COVID or what have you, I just don't Gillies or, or Huso there. And it's like, give me a Jimmy Howard, give me some old bones where it's like, yeah, he's old. But if we play great defense in front of him, you know, then he'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Um but I think that everything you just said really kind of adds to my overall concern of, of next year's range of outcomes. It just seems really wide. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know. It just feels like there's a real air of, of overconfidence about this team right now. And um, I don't know. I'm just, a, I'm a little wary. I'm a little wary. Uh Cap question about the captaincy. Interesting stuff there, but we all know it's O'Reilly. Um, question about 50-50 splits on the season. That's uh, interesting. We've talked about that. Season tickets hold. Season ticket holders will get first crack at tickets uh, if and when partial fans are allowed back in the uh, game. And uh, the future of Vladimir Tarasenko. He talked about that, but the the guy phrased the, phrased the question more as. What if we trade Tarasenko for a legitimate one B goalie, which seemed like a ridiculous, ridiculous question. Um, the uh, interesting one more interesting question here, I think, um, is about the future of, of Clem Costin. And uh, 
Jeremy's got some concerns. He says, yes, of course, there's still a chance for him to play in the NHL. Some people have written him off, but he's only 21. That said, I get the impression that the Blues are less optimistic about Kostin's future than they have acknowledged publicly in the past year. He's currently on loan to the KHL, and while I wouldn't put too much stock in the fact that he's not producing in Russia, I think it backs up what the Blues, have been, Blues believe internally. I recently projected the Blues lineup for the 2023-24 season, and I did not include Kostin. I could be wrong, but I could see him getting a chance uh, at a change of scenery at some point. I watched Bennington come out of the woodwork and win a Stanley Cup, so I would never say never. But Costin must start proving himself if he's going to play in St. Louis. Uh, credit to us, Ian. We dropped him uh, a tier lower than I think most would have expected in our prospect pool ranking, prospect pyramid rankings last season. Uh, spoiler alert or preview, I guess, for a uh, an episode that will be coming up very soon of our new prospect pyramid. Um, do you kind of share that concern with Costum right now that you just think maybe he's not going to pan out and, and become what he was hopefully going to become? Yeah, I mean, I could see him being more of a role player possibly or like mm. fitting into that role, but it does seem, you know, with every passing year that he's might he probably won't be that star that everyone wanted or, you know, that that star that you pick up in the, I guess, what was at the very end of the first round. Um, and he was kind of, I don't know, wasn't he sort of like a boomer bust back then too? Maybe not bust, but you know what I mean? Just was sort of like, uh, this guy could turn out to be really good. Didn't he have like a shoulder issue or something the year of his draft? So that's why he kind of like fell down and they were like, oh, he could have mm-hmm. been like, you know, in the teens or something like that. I st- still think he has an opportunity. I think this fan base is going to be upset or certain parts of this fan base are going to be upset when they don't see him in the lineup this year um, as like a permanent fixture. And it's just one of those things where it just seems awfully crowded um, on this team, especially with some young players that really need that ice time. Um, your Thomases and your Kyrus already, and even guys that are young and play play roles on this team that they're just not going to sit for. Clem Costin to be on like the fourth line, you know, your Mackenzie McEachrins, your Ivan Barbashevs. They're not going to like plop these guys on the bench just to have them cost and play like seven minutes on the fourth line. So it's going to be hard for him to crack just personnel wise, but he also needs to, to show it a little bit more. And um, I, he, it's one of those guys where I think he has the tools, but he mm-hmm. just can't get them all to, to fire at the same time, really. And I think he still has some, some time, but I think the runway is uh, running out a bit. There's a couple, there's a couple prospects we have, not nearly to Clem Costin's um, level that I've, we've talked about the last couple prospect pyramids that I'm still aren't on the blues or really talked about that much. And I'm kind of like, where, what's, what's the deal with these guys? And sometimes that's, that's just a matter of them taking longer. I mean, like, there's some players that are just going to be role players that become role players here when they're like 24, you know, versus like 20 or 21 or whatever. But there are some guys out there that I'm kind of like, I don't know what you are. I feel like there's going to be a, almost a tier of those guys this year. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, an interesting reason, you know, an interesting preview again for, for what we're going into in a couple of weeks. But or in a couple of days, even. I don't know. We haven't planned exactly when the episode will be, but it'll be soon. Yeah, I don't know. I worry about Costin, too. I mean, I have since last season. It just seems like it's not coming together real fast for him. And and there's always that chance that, you know, there's one real big jump and, and something really changes. And, you know, he drinks the right Kool-Aid and he's suddenly the player he thought he could be. But, um, you know, there, there, 
there are people out there who are laughably saying Quim Costin's going to be better than uh, Jordan Cairo, and they are, uh, you know, kind of clown- look kind of clownish with that perspective mm-hmm. um, to me. But that's uh, that's um, you know, it's, it's a prejudice in the type of play, and and you know, Costin certainly is the more physical player and and the uh, you know more net front presence sort of player and. Um, you know, if, if he develops, I think he could still be pretty good, but I'm certainly a lot more worried about his future than I am Jordan Kyrou's at this point. Uh, talked about the AHL uh, affiliate in Springfield's uh, arrangement. Talked about Perunovic's status and, and what role he would play. Um, he could be in the lineup, he says, especially if there's a taxi squad a bit. Uh, and then the last question was a, a criticism of, of JR, which he handled deftly, but which I thought was kind of a tool shed thing to ask or say. Uh, but that was uh, an interesting article and gave us some jumping off points for conversation. So go talk about that uh, or go read that if you are an athletic subscriber. And if you're not an athletic subscriber, it is Christmas time. So I'm sure you can become one for the next decade for eight cents. So you might as well do that, too. Um, Jake Wallman signs a two year contract extension with the Blues. Any thoughts on this? I'm honestly kind of surprised, especially at the two year part, but maybe that just uh, gets him to UFA and they need bodies right now. I guess, I guess, you know, there are guys like him who the idea of a taxi squad probably really benefits, uh, because he's a guy that they can, you know, probably think that they can slot into an NHL game in a pinch and, and have him play some games and, you know, if, if there is a diagnosis or a positive test or whatever, we'll, we'll have to see how the season looks to know what that will look like. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if that is a thing that happens, he could be a, a real beneficiary of that if he gets into some games and looks good. But any thoughts on this signing? Do you care at all, et cetera? Was there something? Uh, maybe it wasn't. It's okay. <laughs> oh no no no! Sorry, it is. Sorry, I was reading something. So that it's a two-way deal this year, and then the next year it's a one-way deal. Oh really? Um, I didn't notice that. They so did that with somebody else recently. Didn't maybe we? Huso. Well, I thought yeah, we did it with Huso, and then I swear we did it. I could be wrong. With somebody. I thought, we, I thought we did it with Jordan Schmaltz too at one point. Oh yeah, and then we traded him. So maybe. Oh, there you go, Jake Wallman. <laughs> <laughs> a sign. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I I don't I don't have nothing against Jake Wallman, but he seems to be pretty far back to me in the he's a lefty too right so in the left-handed uh defenseman rankings for us but like i said Mm -hmm. taxi squad he could turn out to be pretty valuable um certainly a guy that i wouldn't be like terrified to see him in an nhl game it's not like uh what's his name what's the guy that played one game the season we won the cup jarabek yeah yeah um and i thought we hadn't talked about any of the uh recent signings that have gone through so i thought we could go through some of these real quickly and and i will go through them real quickly mikhail sergachev uh, tampa bay reaches down into its magic made up money bag again and pulls out a three-year 14.4 million dollar deal for mikhail sergachev uh, good deal for both sides i think sergachev gets some money here and then gets to really control his future i assume he'll probably have one year left of rfa uh, at the end of this thing but he can either kind of you know say give me the one year or give me the eight sort of thing and really get his money's worth. Um, Jake DeBrusque, uh, any, sorry, any thoughts on the circuit show deal before I move on? I mean, they, they did it again. <laughs> did it again. They got uh, what they wanted and they did it again. Don't they still have uh, somebody outstanding? I, What's that? Look. I think they have one RFA still, right? I'm looking it up. Uh, yeah. 
Anthony Sorelli is an RFA. Uh, Eric Cernak is too, but who cares? Um, I know they've talked about like, oh, they might have to trade Kalorn or they might have to trade Sorelli if they really don't want to. And I'm just like, shut up. You can trade Anthony Sorelli from that team and be just fine, you know, but um, whatever. Hi, they've done it again. They catch Sergachev. That would be the player for that. If I was them, that's the player I'm way more concerned about resigning over between him and Sorelli, as good as Sorelli seems to be. So, uh, Jake DeBrusque, a two year, $7.35 million deal for a player that still needs to kind of figure out exactly what he is, I feel like. Is that a fair assessment of DeBrusque in your eyes? Yeah, the, to me, I thought he was like a, a bona fide star. I th- think he was coming out party when his rookie year, you know, in the playoffs. And then he's mm-hmm. he's kind of softened a little or cooled down a bit. Yeah, and I think he's sort of fallen into the like, you're obviously an NHL player, but we just don't know what kind of an NHL player you are yet. Yeah. A uh, couple of uh, pro- uh, draft picks signing uh, first-year entry-level deals, Igor Sokolov, Jack Quinn, um, Luke Evangelista for the uh, Nashville Predators. The Dallas Stars signed Rupe Hintz for three years at $3.15 million per season. That seems like a real good deal for them. I like Rupe Hintz. He's not a, not a star by any means, but a good third or you know middle six contributor. What do you think about that one? Um, you know what? I didn't even know this one happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's appropriate too. I don't think it's a, a game changer by any means, but I think it's a fine signing. Um, Brendan Lemieux signed a two-year $3.1 million deal. Who cares? Mackenzie Weger, three years, $3.25 per season. Um, Vladislav Gavrikov, three years, eight point four total. Ryan Strom, two years at $4.5 million. Seems high to me for Ryan Strom, but I think he's found some success with the Rangers. So, uh, you know. I guess it is what it is. Two years at t- at five million per for Ryan Pollock to stay with the Islanders. Four years at five point seven million for Anthony Mantha feels like a classic uh, Red Wings deal. Of this guy's been okay and he's here, so let's give him the top dollar he could possibly ask for. Uh, maybe I'm underrating Anthony Mantha a little bit, but how did you feel about that one? Uh, it seemed like a bit. I guess I don't know. Like they they have to pay somebody. You know, it's one of those old uh-huh. rules where it's like you're a bad team. You you're not cap strapped. You got to pay you got to pay people to stay there. But I really don't think they had to pay him that much to stay there. Seems like you guys <laughs> would have stayed there anyways. I don't uh-huh. know. That's at least yeah. my read on it. That's fair. Uh, Michael Hutchinson goes back to Toronto, which is hilarious. Victor Olafson gets a two year deal for three point oh five million. I think that's really good for the Sabers. They didn't overcommit. Uh, kind of reminiscent of the of the Bennington deal where it's like they, he had a great season, but I'm not sure yet. Uh, and, um, you know, this kind of protects them from overcommitting. Alex Golchenyuk, a one-year deal. Uh, Devin Taves, four per, for $4.1 million per season for Colorado, another really great uh, signing, another guy who just falls in line and and takes less money to keep that team together. So great. I'm I'm really glad they got to add Devin Taves to the Arsenal. Brendan Sod will probably re-sign there for $3 million per season. Any thoughts on the Devin Taves signing, which is probably <laughs> going to be the last one we talk about? Um, I mean, good for good for the Avs. I think that's that's a player that's going to age well, and that's something that they need, and that's someone that was already, I don't know if they're better, but just better overall, a better player, better whatever, above replacement player than, like, 
uh, Zadorov and everything. And I think if you have the money to do that and you can keep this team together, who's got their window wide open to win a cup, um, you know, you do, you do your best to like keep that team together and take that shot. Uh, especially while you still have like some really nice contracts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a team that's going to be good for uh, way too long, way too long. Ian, uh, I threw a tweet out before we started uh, without your knowledge or permission. And I don't care. No. Uh, but just uh, took uh, ask for some questions. And we got a few, so let's go through these real quick and then we can get out of here. Um, Justin Horniker, our good friend, a co-host of the uh, Soccer Talk Lads podcast. Interesting interview this week uh, with uh, a podcaster from Toronto talking about the departure of the Toronto FC's uh, head coach. So go check that out if you haven't listened. But uh, Justin uh, shares a gif of Kelly Kowalski from the office saying, I have a lot of questions. Number one, how dare you? Ian, how dare we? I, I dare every day. Yeah, you dare just getting out of bed and, and it shows. <laughs> uh, we're all real proud of you. <laughs> um, all I would say, Justin, is we're uh, we're trying to get better. We really are. We're so yeah. sorry. <laughs> we, do, we dare to get better. We really, really, really are trying. Uh, Gibbs, our our friend Gibbs from the Twitter sphere, asks which player will show player or players will show up to camp out of shape. Uh, a lot of them, probably. Uh, Vince Dunn apparently <laughs> is going to. Um, it's, it's hard. I mean, it would be hard to be in shape, especially when you don't know when the season is starting. You don't want to overexert yourself too early, you know, but um, it's an interesting question. You uh, you have anybody that you're really worried about staying in sta- shape, uh, Ian? Of Vince. No, obviously, yep. because I think Vince. we all know he, he gorges on too much pizza. Um, Vince Dunn's our new uh-huh. scapegoat. No, not really. I'm sure some people are a little worried about Jordan Bennington because he's also kind of a guy that's very aloof. Um, but I think he's got something to prove after last year, kind of not being so great in the bubble there. I would think he'd be fine. So, yeah, I guess I guess Vince Dunn, maybe, maybe some of the younger guys that are like prospects, you know, that are going to be coming in and pushing for a spot. Maybe they just think that, I don't know, they just don't know what it means to train to try and make an NHL team yet. And so you're going to see Maybe some disappointing younger players, um, but I would think all those all those vets that we have thus far seem like guys that will be well prepared. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll hear you'll hear all the all the puff pieces about how the, this is the best this team has looked in a long time. You know, you got I've mm-hmm. seen I've seen Sammy Blay shoot the puck before, but this is a different Sammy Blay. Five you know days before he gets his wrist injured, doesn't play for for thirty <laughs> games or whatever, and we all going to be like, ah, what could have been. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, where was I? Whether where was I? Fantasy hockey trades asks, when does Perunovic make the jump? Um, I think he will play an NHL game this season. That doesn't really answer his question, uh, but I think that just the nature of the season probably demands that Perunovic will see some time. Uh, as far as when he makes the jump full-time where he's an everyday part of the lineup it kind of depends on when a spot clears for him um and i could see that being you know as far as as uh 2020 uh if he stays with the team but um 
Yeah, I mean, I think Perunovic is a part of the plan sooner rather than later, honestly, because uh, it just it seems like uh, he's, you know, he's mature. He's a college player. He was a Hobie Baker winner, and those guys usually jump pretty quick. Any thoughts on Perunovic's development and, and when he might be uh, up in the NHL full-time or, or at least part-time? Uh, I definitely think I think for sure he'll see a game or two this year, at very least. I just I don't know why it just feels like to me this again almost feels like a weird because it hasn't started yet, but feels like a tad bit of a throwaway season. Maybe not throwaway, but experiment season. See what you yeah. got. You don't know what you have. Throw Perunovic in there. See uh, see what he looks like early. Obviously, whatever he looks like isn't guaranteed to be what you have in him, but just see how he reacts to the NHL game and see if uh, if there's any positives from him because I know like we put in. Mikola, he played, what, four or five games in a row? And while that might that was just an early stint, uh, lightning in a bottle perhaps, he actually looked really good. And you could see the same from Prunovic. I'd just like to see him get some time uh, this year, at least a little bit, because it seems like, I don't know why, when did, we, when did we even sign this kid? When did we even draft him? It just feels like we've been talking about him for a while. And I'd be interested yeah. to, to finally see him. To NHL ice. Yeah, I mean, he has been in the organization for a couple of years now, and um, I agree. I think he's a guy that you want to see uh, want to see sooner than later. You're, I'm always excited to see prospects sooner than later, but you still have to take the appropriate uh, risks with him and and make sure that he's he's you know not overexposed too soon or anything like that. So. I think it'll work out fine and he'll be here uh, soon enough, but I know that's not a very super sexy answer that people are excited to hear. So we'll <laughs> see. We'll see. Uh, unfortunately. And Justin W uh, retweeted our uh, tweet and asked Justin Falk will be back to his all-star form. True or false. Um, we talked about this a lot. I do have hopes for Justin Falk this year. I think um, he's a guy that you can uh, really uh, see stepping into a role without without uh, Armstrong or without Armstrong without uh, Petrangelo here, um, and taking over and and you know taking back that kind of power play role and and so on and so forth. So I'm hopeful, but I don't think it's a guarantee. Unfortunately, I'd like it to be because mm-hmm. I'd love him to be here uh, uh, permanently and and really be a good player if he's going to pay off that contract. Uh, but that's kind of where I'm at. Where are you? Uh, where are you thinking on this? Uh, I mean, I again, I think he's actually going to have a really good year this year, and I feel like people might be a little disappointed with Krug because he's going to have a more like uh, I don't know, just a different year because this is a new team for him after however many years he's been on the Bruins. Um, so I think people are going to be maybe a little disappointed with Krug, but surprised by Fox because I think he just slots in better with where he's going to be now, like a right side on the second pairing, get more time, get more power play time, um, be on a team where he's not like literally the only new person on it anymore, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if he maybe fits in a little better, feels a little better where he is. Um, I can't imagine as much as they always say the stuff doesn't affect them, that it feels like super easy to slot into a team where A, you're like practically the only new person and B, um, there's like just this weird sort of, rift between like your your new captain and the team and it's kind of about the fact that you're there or <laughs> sort of kind of you know one of those like sorry i didn't really i you know i didn't agree to this i'm just here now and they're like yeah 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 thanks thanks justin thanks for being here 
And it's like now that Petrangelo's gone and things are a little more settled, maybe he feels a little more relaxed. That's that's how I would feel, at least, if you end up at a place where maybe folks are staring at you like, why is this dude here now? Yeah. I mean, he's, a, he's just a he's a guy that we need to be really good. We need him to develop and, and be a, a number, a top four defenseman. Not develop, just return to that. And I think he mm-hmm. had been that, and he very well could return to it. Um, but... Um, we just got to see. And that is kind of, you know, your point about it being a um, uh, kind of prove it season, see what you have season. I, I kind of hope that uh, Armstrong is looking at it that way. Cause I certainly am. Um, and I just don't think this is a season where you should make big decisions without knowing what this team is without Alex Petrangelo. So it'll be interesting as some late breaking news, um, Pierre Lebrun says some communication tonight between the NHL and NHLPA, but nothing big to relay. Important week ahead if both sides hope to make a mid-January puck drop happen. And Blues Views retweets this and rightfully says it's been a really important week ahead for the past four weeks. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where they are. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just want a season. I just want hockey back. Yeah, I mean, it's 100%. I'm just one of those, like, if you could just get it underway uh, anytime, that'd be great. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll get there, but it's it's frustrating. But Why does it always else? feel like this? For like, yeah, <laughs> Why does it always like feel like even, here. yeah, even when it feels like a regular season, they're like, well, somehow we just don't know. And it's like, how? Oh, oh, there's no CBA up. That's this what it feels like at least. league is trash i mean it really is it's a trash league um so whatever i guess whatever but (laughs) whatever trash league i could um go into another whole rant about the nhl if i let myself and i'm trying to uh trying to keep it from going there but um anything else you'd like to talk about before we get out of here ian oh no i'm i'm just excited for for prospect pyramid yeah, I am too. I can't wait to do that. Uh, well, we'll uh, get an official announcement out, but it could be as early as this week. We just got to make sure that we've got a time that we can actually sit together and, and do it and do the research and such. But we'll figure it out. and It'll be soon and it's coming. I'm excited. I love that episode. Probably my favorite each year. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. That's, mm-hmm. It's exciting. I'm excited. You're excited. The sponsors are excited. My no pillow is trending in the United States. That's going to be something racist. No free pub. No um, free pub. No free pub. You're right. You're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. We're good. We're good. And that's an episode. And you folks are welcome for the honor of having listened to us. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so sorry. sorry. We'll get better. We'll, we'll get better. I promise. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, all the talk we've got for today because hockey is taking its sweet time. And if you have ideas you'd like us to cover or questions you'd like us to answer, never hesitate to send them in. Re- leave a review, subscribe to the podcast. We always appreciate that. Go check out our other podcast, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Ian, uh, what's the capital of North Dakota? Any thoughts on that? Oh, he's frozen again. He's gone, folks. We're going to get out of here. His computer's frozen. He's back. back. He's back, but he still doesn't know the capital of North Dakota, I bet. Bismarck. Um, 
Oh, we got it, folks. He nailed it. <laughs> He's ready. This guy knows his stuff. Um, so uh, have a, a Bismarcky evening, all of you ladies and gentlemen, and, and we'll talk to you all real soon. Good night from Bismarck. Have you ever met a girl that you tried to date? But a year to make love, she wanted you to wait. Let me tell you a story of my situation. I was talking to this girl from the U.S. nation. The way that I met her was on tour at a concert. She had long hair and a short miniskirt. I just got on stage dripping, pouring with sweat. I was walking through the crowd, and guess who I met? I whispered in her ear, come to the picture booth so I can ask you some questions to see if you're 100 proof. I asked her her name, she said blah, blah, blah. She had nine, ten pants and a very big bra. I took a couple of flicks and she was enthused. I said, how do you like the show? She said I was very amused. I started throwing bass, she started throwing back mid-range. But when I sprung the question, she acted kind of strange. Because when I asked, do you have a man, she tried to pretend. She said, no, I don't. I only have a friend. I'm not even going for it. That's what I'm going to say. You, you got what I need. But you say he's just a friend. And you say he's just a 